We are in a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, we, last week, we talked about how our brains work. And the reason we talked about how our brains work is because usually when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about it from the perspective of verse upon verse, scripture upon scripture, about the validity of the Holy Spirit, which is wonderful, and we're going to do some of that in this series. But really what we're doing is we're looking at the Holy Spirit from the perspective of our great need. Why do we even need the Holy Spirit? Why do we need that part of the Godhead to live and dwell within us and minister to us on a daily, momentary basis? And we so desperately do. And last week we just talked about how our brains process information. And uh, scientists have found that our brains process information similar to filing cabinets. And those filing cabinets have topics. And each topic has a drawer with sub-information. And each drawer in the filing cabinet has folders with smaller bits of information. And uh, our computers work the same thing in how they arrange files because that's how our brains work and process information. And some scientists have even said that, you know, it's interesting, we never really forget anything. They say we use such a small percentage of our brains uh, we never really forget anything. It's just that we forget what piece of information smaller pieces of information are attached to. So if you can recall whatever drawer that information is in, you can recall that folder quite often with that smaller, bit, smaller bits of information. It's just that we often forget where, what drawer we put that info in. <laughs> it's, we forget things because we forget where we stored it and what we connected it to in our brain. Does that make sense? If we can recall what it's connected to, it's amazing how memories come back to us, isn't it? You know, you, you, you can remember what grandma's house smelled like. You can remember what Aunt Susan's apple pie smelled like. You can remember those smaller bits of information based on being connected to something else. The part where we said we desperately need the Holy Spirit is because the way we process information, we don't always think about every bit of information when we think about life or each other or things around us. We don't have time to go through every file folder and read every bit of information on a particular person, topic, group of people, political party, anything like that. We don't have time to do that. The trouble is all of us, every single one of us, have certain drawers with folders in them with bad information. They contain bad bits of information. And without even realizing it, it affects how we see something or how we see each other. Without even realizing it, it creates biases and separations and, and, and problems in our relationships with each other. So we desperately need the Holy Spirit to be able to go through the file folders of our minds and show us what folders have that bad information show us what drawers contain those folders, and work with us like our personal counselor. Amen? And that's what the Bible says the Holy Spirit is, our counselor. Jesus calls him that. And we, we all need that. Otherwise, that work would be up to us. And if you don't know that you have a bad folder in a drawer somewhere based on an interaction with someone or something you were told or something you heard somewhere, if you don't know that exists, how would you ever find it? And how would that, those relationships ever truly be closely connected? They wouldn't. 
So we need the Holy Spirit to go through those filing cabinets for us. Amen? Pull out the bad folders. Re reset the bad information so that we can be at one with each other and with God. Does that make sense? So that was last week. And this week, we're going to talk about telling the truth. Something that seems so simple. You know, we think of ourselves as tr generally truthful people. People that generally tell the truth. We think of ourselves as honest folks, especially as Christians. We're honest folks. But if we stop and survey this world and survey ourselves a little bit more, I think we're going to find that being honest is far more complicated than we would think of it on the surface. Being honest in this world is a lot more complicated than we think. So I'm not going to do this. I did this in first service, and I think it backfired on me. I'm not going to ask you all to raise your hand and say, how many of you think you're generally truthful people? It's too loaded. Some of you are thinking, well, this is a trick. Others of you think, well, that's too prideful. Others go, oh, yeah, I'm a truthful person. And then by the end, you're not going to change your mind. So I'm not going to ask you to do that right now. I just want you to take an honest look at the world and ourselves, how we relate to it, and think about, wow, I never even knew that something that sounded so simple, just telling the truth, can be so complicated. I want to look at a Bible story, begin with a Bible story in Acts chapter 5, that discusses a lie. And I want to share with you here why this story is a little bit more complicated than maybe we on the surface think. So let's go to Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Acts 5, 1. This is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now in those days when the, when the Christian church was first beginning, when it was first getting its start, people were being extremely generous because they knew that the work cost money. They knew that there were people in need. They wanted to help each other. And so often what they were doing, the Bible says they were buying and selling, or they were selling off their property. And usually what our minds go to is, okay, they were just all selling their houses. That's not exactly what was taking place. In fact, property ownership for the early church would have been a good thing. Because if you own property in Rome, you had a voice in their government. So property ownership in Rome was actually a good thing. So the council of the early church wouldn't be sell it off. What they were doing was, if you had a summer home or a vacation home or an extra plot of land, people were selling those for the good of the work of the church. And a couple named Ananias and Sapphira had one of these extra pieces of land. And we're not exactly sure based on the details, but we know that they made a commitment to the Lord that the profits from that land would go to the work of the church. And that's where we pick up the story. Verse 1 in Acts chapter 5, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Now we need to pause there just for a second, because this is one of those passages that clearly shows us that the Holy Spirit is in fact God. In verse 3, it says, 
um, that he lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 says he lied to the Holy Spirit. And then it goes down in verse, let's see, verse 4. says you've not lied to man, but to God. So Peter refers to the Holy Spirit as God. So that's very clearly outlined there. But the story goes on, and Ananias here drops dead. Curse from the Lord. Something took place, and the same thing happens with his wife. Now, it seems harsh, and we need to be careful with how we judge the story because we're not given the greater details. We don't know all the circumstances surrounding what took place here. But what I want to ask you is, um, first of all, there's a little hint as to what commitment was made here by Ananias. Peter says there, there's a line that says, um, Ananias, wasn't the land yours before you sold it? And of course the answer is, well, yeah, the land was mine before I sold it. Then he says, the money afterward was at your disposal. You could do whatever you wanted with it. So in other words, no one was forcing you to give this money to the church. But you made a commitment to the Lord. And apparently what took place here is that Ananias promised all of the proceeds would go toward the work of the Lord or to go to the church. And apparently what happened was the land sold for more than Ananias and Sapphira expected. So perhaps what happened was Ananias said, you know, I have a plot of land, and I think it's worth 40000 Worth 40000 And it turned out that it sold for 65000 But when he thought it was worth 40000 he said, I'm going to give you every bit of the proceeds from this land. I'm going to give it all to the work of the church. But when it sold for 65000 he kept 25000 for himself. So here's the sticky thing. Was he lying, yes or no? Yes. An argument could be made that eh, maybe it wasn't a full, bold-faced lie. Because what he did was he promised the 40000 of course, we know that to keep that vow to the Lord, he needed to give all of that money, all of those proceeds, because that's what he actually promised. But do you see how easily in our human minds we can begin to justify not telling completely all the truth? Somehow, and we don't know how, we don't know how the church got word, maybe it was the Holy Spirit speaking to Peter, somehow the church found out that, in fact, $25,000 was being kept in their pockets and not given to the work of the Lord. And there must have been some major ramifications of them holding back this $25,000. But the, the, the bottom line is, the truth got a little sticky there and they kept it to themselves. But the Holy Spirit was the one who knew the conviction that he placed in the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira. The Holy Spirit was the one that was inside of their minds and their hearts, convicting them and leading them, and they resisted his leading and that's one of the reasons why it became so dangerous. We absolutely need the God living within us. Amen? We absolutely need it. We can't live without it. And the Bible refers to this as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We don't even know how to process information, relate to each other well. We talked about that last week. 
without Him. We don't even know how to fully tell the truth and tell it properly without Him. And I'm so glad that God promises to be our indwelling counselor. And I love the biblical illustration that Paul gives. He says that Jesus is our anchor behind the veil. How many of you have heard that that analogy before? He's our anchor behind the veil. He talks about that, I think it's in 1 Corinthians. Okay, not many of you. Either that or you're sleeping. He's our anchor behind the veil. The veil referring to the Old Testament sanctuary and behind the veil would be the presence of God. And he says, Jesus, our Savior, is the anchor. So in other words, Jesus is the one who anchors us to the presence of God. Isn't that wonderful? Now, Paul being a fisherman, or being uh, familiar with being a fisherman, Paul would have seen that an anchor is no good without a rope or a chain. Say you're in a boat, you're dropping anchor, and you just drop the anchor. Is it doing you any good? No. You're going to float all over the place, aren't you? Uh, An anchor is no good without a rope or a chain. And the Holy Spirit is the rope or the chain that connects us to the anchor that connects us to the Father so we won't drift away. Amen? And we so desperately need that. And and today I want to look at being truthful. Is it really that easy in this world? Most of us are not outright liars. But all of us are deceitful. How does that sit with you? Most of us are not outright liars. So in other words, we often don't go into a situation knowing one thing and saying the other. But all of us, all of us, because of the world that we're living in, because of the conditions, because of our emotions, because of our feelings, because of our beliefs, because of various different things, at times are deceitful. Let's look at some types of lies. And uh, I didn't come up with this list. This is actually, this comes from science. This comes from psychologists, sociologists, and they become really good at identifying lies. Do you know why that is? Because a lot of their work is based in surveys. Ever gone to the doctor? You fill out a questionnaire, right? How many uh, brownies do you eat every week? Oh, (laughs) one 5, 10, 25. Maybe you really eat 25, but you're going to go, oh, 10. Because <laughs> you don't want to lecture from the doctor or something, you know? So, so sociologists and psychologists have come up with really good uh, ways of asking questions that get truth because they know how much we lie. They know how deceitful we are. And a lie or being deceitful like that is not... It's. <laughs> Even though it's untrue, it's, we don't think of it as an outright lie because, you know, it, it's who we actually want to be. I want to be a five brownie a week person. I don't want to be a 25 brownie a week person. So since I want to be a five brownie a week person, I'm just, that's how I'm going to answer. You see what we do? So these are, these are lies that uh, scientists, sociologists, psychologists have come up with, have identified areas of our lives where we're often not truthful, fully truthful. And the first type is lies to hide our weakness. Lies to hide our weakness. Here's the easiest question to reveal this. How are you? I'm fine. 
I'm okay. I'm doing well, right? Meanwhile, you know, you just left your house crying. Or, you know, somebody turned off your, your power in your house because you can't pay your bill. You're a mess, but you say you're fine. I'll give you a, a personal example of this. I'm a guy, I hate pushing carts in the store, unless I'm with my wife. And I hate carrying those goofy little baskets. I don't know, maybe it's an ego thing for me. I don't know, I, I hate carrying those. Came from my father, I blame him. Those are dorky, he'd say. I don't know. And so I would walk, or I walk around the store and I think, well, I'm just here for a few things. I can carry it. I can carry this stuff. So I'm walking around and I'm shopping and, you know, I pick up a can of this and a loaf of bread and a frozen pizza or whatever it is. And by the end, I'm, you know, dropping things. And sometimes an employee of the store will walk by me and go, sir, do you need a cart? And what do I say? Oh, I don't need a cart. I'm good. Right? I don't want to admit my weakness that I was too dumb to not pick up a basket or a cart on the way in or that I actually need help. But the fact of the matter is we, we lie all the time when it comes to, to not wanting to reveal our weakness or our need of help. How's your marriage? Oh, my marriage is fine. We're doing well. Maybe we're, we're just in a rough patch. Are you able to do that? Do you need help with that? No, no, I don't need help with this. I'm just fine. You know what I learned? I learned that when people offer to help, they genuinely, almost always genuinely, actually want to help. And sometimes when you refuse their help, it's actually insulting. Because usually when somebody offers help, they see that you need it. But, but and, and evolutionary scientists love this problem in us, this mind bug in us, because they think it proves natural selection and, and uh, fitness of the species. They say, you know, because of Darwinian evolution and because survival of the fittest exists, this is proof that, that that evolved in us, this desire to not want to show our weaknesses, that we might be vulnerable to uh, somebody that's more fit, uh, 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 an animal that's more fit or a human that's more fit, as if, you know, there's other humans walking around ready to deal with the unfit. But they, they love that. They love that because it shows that we are deceitful because we love to hide our weakness. We have a mind bug that defaults and tells us, don't show anybody our weaknesses or our needs of help, our need of help. In fact, it, on questionnaires, questionnaires, science has shown people can fill out, how have you been feeling this week on a scale of one to 10? I'm a two. Do you feel depressed? Yes. Do you this? Do you that? Do you that? Do you, do you feel you need a counselor? No. Because I don't need help, right? I don't want to admit my weakness. I don't feel good, but I don't want to go to the doctor either. I had a grandmother, my beloved grandmother, who helped raise me, was always like, she'd have a cough, she'd be not feeling good. Grandma, do you need to go to the doctor? No, I'm fine. I'm too mean to get sick. So we're deceitful in the way because we don't like to show our weaknesses or our, our need of help. And we don't think of these as lies because we tell them to try to project, project the person we want to be. I want to be a strong person. I want to be taking care of this. I want to know how to get from here to there without asking for directions. But yet, we need help. 
We just don't admit it, and we try to cover it up. That's, that's deceitful. There are things called gray lies, gray lies. And these are lies that hide our true feelings. Things that uh, allow us to keep from actually truthfully expressing ourselves. From our true, true feelings. So in other words, can you spare a dollar? Somebody comes up to us in need, can you spare a dollar? Now, for me, usually I'm truthful in this because I don't carry cash. I don't have cash on me. I usually only carry a card. But somebody comes up and they ask if you can spare a dollar. This just happened to us a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we were in a parking lot. It was a downpour. And this guy surprises us by walking up to our car in the middle of this pouring down rain. He said, can you help? I've got, I, I got $14. I need $14 to help repair a tire or to get a new tire for our car. And he says, right over there, that's where we're going to get it. And I look over there and there's no tire repair place or tire place there. So immediately my mind is going, you're lying to me. And my, my, my feelings went, I don't want to give money to somebody that just lied to me. So do you know what I did? I lied back. Because I didn't want to reveal my true feelings. Sir, I don't want to give you money because you just lied to me. I would have felt better if he had just come up to me and said, hey, I, I need a drink. I need a pack of cigarettes. I need help. But he lied to me. And so he hurt my ego, and I don't like that. So rather than to say, sir, I don't like being lied to, you should have just told me the truth in the first place. No, I don't have money. I didn't have $14 in cash, that was true. But I, I had a few dollars that I could have given him. But we do this kind of stuff, and we never think of it as being deceitful. I should have just told him my true feelings. You know, I don't really think that you need a tire, but, you know, obviously you need help, so here's a couple of dollars. That would have been the proper answer. But our, our hearts, our minds, our feelings defer to deceitfulness. Because we don't like to tell people what we truly feel or how we truly think. How about this question? Uh, is, ring, ring, hello? Is Dustin there? Um, no, he had to step out. That's the telemarketer, right? You don't want to talk to the telemarketer. Because you don't want to tell the telemarketer that you hate telemarketer calls. These are silly examples, but they're all examples of, of things that we do. How about the one where the wife says, honey, do I look fat in these jeans? <laughs> now really what men want to say is, please stop asking me that question. Because there is no proper answer to this question. I can't get this right. But even saying that is the wrong answer. So what are you supposed to say? So, you know, you, you come up with something that you think will be acceptable, and maybe it's not the truth. We also, we also tell these gray lies to hide what we truly believe. I mean, do you believe in Bigfoot? Of course I don't believe in Bigfoot. Now, of course, I'm being silly again, and I'm, I'm, trying, I'm coming up with silly examples because I don't want this to feel like, you know, fire and brimstone here, but we, we hide them. You know, what, what church do you go to? Oh, I go, to, um, I go to a Christian church down there. Because, you know, maybe you know somebody has a bias against Adventists. Or you don't want to go down that road to talk about Adventism. So you just sort of avoid the, the answer. 
We tell these lies in order to avoid sharing our true feelings, beliefs, or thoughts. And our brains often just default to these. And usually we don't think of these afterward or in the moment as being deceitful or being lies. But they are. They are. And we've kind of developed them as sort of a, almost like a a survival mechanism sometimes, this deceitfulness. Sometimes it's a survival. Uh, Colorless lies. Scientists and doctors are big on this one. Colorless lies. Things like, how many drinks did you have today? You ask an alcoholic how many drinks they had today, they usually say, oh, I've had a couple. I've had a couple, or I've had a few. And anyone around them realizes that it's been a whole lot more than a couple. These, they're called colorless lies because those are the lies that even the person that's telling them can, can't see. You can't see the reality of things, and you never can see them. They're colorless. They're invisible. I eat pretty healthy. This is one that we believe. Do you know most dietitians, when you go on a diet, do you know what the, one of the first things they tell you to do is? Write everything down. That's exactly right. Write everything down. Do you know why they tell you to write everything down? Because you don't actually know what you eat. We don't. I mean, I'm the first one to say, I eat pretty healthy. But then I start really thinking back through my day of what I ate. And it wasn't great. Wasn't always great. So they have you write it down. Because when you write it down, that doesn't lie. That doesn't lie. Your brain will play tricks on you because you, you want to feel like you had a very, fairly healthy eating day. But that list of what you ate and how much you ate, it doesn't lie. Colorless lies. Other things like addictions, like, you know, I don't have an, a, an issue with pornography. I don't have an issue with this. I don't have an issue with that. Those are lies that we, we believe because we don't want to see the truth that these things are an issue. I'm not a disagreeable person. I'm generally a pretty, pretty fun person. People like me, and everybody else is going. <laughs> and the thing is, is we, the reason that this is such an important discussion is because think of all the behaviors and feelings and actions and habits that come out of these mind bugs that tend toward deceitfulness. You know they. You, it becomes part of your character. It becomes part of how you operate and, and deal with people. It becomes the, the, the person that you are. And we don't think of it as being deceitful. We don't think of it as, as, as being less than truthful. But that's, in fact, what it is. Red lies. Red lies are the lies we tell in order to get something from someone. This is the used car dealer. This is a great car. When we brought this in, we didn't have to do anything to it. Well, that's because you never even looked at it. Right? This is a great car. It's great gas mileage. They've never driven it. They don't know. You know, they, they shine it up. And, you know, I don't want to be hard on all used car dealers because there are some honest ones out there. But it's also the person that convinces you that they're on your side just for you to share your feelings and your needs in order to get more information for gossip to go tell other people. But in the moment, quite often, what we do is we make people trust us because in the moment we genuinely care, but we also somewhere deep down are just pumping them for information. 
That's deceitfulness. Those of us that uh, quote really smart people on social media and don't give them credit. <laughs> you ever see people do that? They'll quote something that sounds really smart and you think, that didn't come from them. That must have come from somebody else. Social media is a real problem with this. Because when we're talking about red lies, it's putting forth a quote-unquote truth about yourself in order to get something in return. Boy, that's the land of social media, isn't it? I mean, you don't post a picture of yourself getting out of bed with your hair, you know, like the cows have been licking it all night. You don't post that picture. You know, we, we post the good pictures of our kids. We post the good pictures of ourselves. And not only do we pick the best pictures, we doctor the good ones. We put a filter on it, or we airbrush here, or we do this. And you know, the only reason we do it is to get something from somebody. Like, you're beautiful. This is a wonderful family. So it, social media is a land of danger when it comes to this. It's a land of putting something out there in order to get something in return. The red lies are the person, that the man that says to the girl, oh, I love you, honey, just to get something back. The red, red lies are the land of the people are, that are the schmoozers. You know a schmoozer? You know what I mean by a schmoozer? Somebody that just makes you think that you are the most beautiful, most wonderful person on the face of the earth. That, you know, the, it's sort of like the baby kissing politician, you know, oh, kiss the babies and hand them back and make the parents feel great. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the very political, very schmoozy people. It's to get something in return, maybe friendship back, maybe, and it's disingenuous. It's disingenuous. So the land of red lies, the land of blue lies or blue lies, as we call them. These are lies that affect our image or how people see us. Maybe a perfect example of this is your highly political friend comes up to you on election day and says, did you vote yet? And you go, yeah. Because you don't want to say, no. Because you know they're going to go, well, you better get down there because, you know, we got to support this cause and this person because blah, 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 blah. And you don't want to deal with all that. So you just say, yeah, I voted already. Or, did you read that book? How about, that's a good one to ask college students. Did you read that book? Oh, yeah, I read that book. Because you don't want to truly say, no, I, I didn't read that book because of what people might think. Or you justify in your head saying, yeah, I read that book because you read you know, a word here and a word there and a page here and a page there. Maybe you're in a book club and you've done that. You get the, the cliff notes. They don't call them that anymore. What's the word now? There's another word. Yeah, so the, something notes or yeah, it's it's. Uh, there's a different name. How about people? You know, I, you're a person. You think of yourself. I always apologize for my mistakes. We have to be very careful when we use those words. Apologize or always. I mean, always. Those very definite words. I'm always courteous to people who aren't. How about this one? I always declare everything at customs, even if the agents will never know they're there. Uh, I see some people smiling and chuckling. Another type of lies, we have two more. Another type of lies, fake news lies. Fake news. 
These are lies we spread about things that we agree with simply because they back our point of view. And the dangerous thing about fake news is that most of the time, we never even check to see if it's true. We don't do the research ourselves. We simply spread it because somebody said it. We trust that person, so we get that information, and because that information backs our point of view, we start sharing it without even checking whether it's true or not. Incredibly dangerous. Look what that stuff has done to our society. The divisions, the anger, the... We don't even check. You want a good Adventist one? One that we used for generations. A fake news lie. Ready for this? 666 refers to vicarious fili dei on the triple crown of the Pope. It's right there. If you add up the, the letters to vicarious fili dei on the triple crown in Latin, they add up to the number 666. You know what the problem is? The Vatican heard that we were preaching that. And they, would, they said to us, we would like you to show us one picture, one of the triple crown with the name vicarious fili dei on it in any point in history. And we couldn't find it. It's never there. It was never there. Somebody started preaching it. And because the preacher said it, somebody else picked up on it. And we started preaching that for generations. Now, that doesn't affect my beliefs about prophecy. It's just that, wow, we got to be really careful to, about some of our preachers, especially the more conspiracy theory they get. Because here's the thing. You can't prove conspiracy theory from Scripture. Not one bit of it. Not one bit. It's conspiracy theory. You can't prove any of it. And there are some preachers in the church, that's all they preach. Well, this person's a Freemason, and that person's behind the scenes working on this or that. Here's the thing. I don't know if that's true. I have no way of knowing whether that's true or not. But do you know what we, we do in the church? We start forming beliefs and ideas about customs and practices and things within the church that are based on conspiracy theory. And we have absolutely no way of knowing whether they're true or not. And it's incredibly dangerous. So, we need to just go with what the Bible says. When I hear a, a conspiracy theory or a conspiracy theorist, even when they're preaching on Bible prophecy and they'll say something that I can't prove from... There's, there's one particular preacher, I won't, I won't share what his name is, but... He's constantly quoting books written by other people with these damning facts about, about certain people. Billy Graham is a 33-degree Freemason. And he's got this whole lecture about how, how evil the Freemasons are and things. And since Billy Graham is part of, the, part of the Freemasons, this is what's happening in the Christian church. Here's the thing. He got that information from some other guy's book. And take it from me, who's written four books, anybody can write a book. Just anybody can write a book. So the fact that you got this from so-and-so's book does not prove to me that that's true. We have to be incredibly careful, and we let these people think for us, and then what we end up doing is telling other people and letting it affect how we view the church and how we view each other and how we relate to the worship service and the sermons and all this nonsense, and it's not based on Scripture. It's based on conjecture at best and sometimes outright 
untruths like vicarious fili dei. Probably butchering the Latin there. And the last type are naturalistic lies. And these are lies that adhere to the phrase, whatever is, is what should be. So in other words, if that's what we're doing in the moment, it's because that's the right thing to do. For example, did you know that, that um, in this country, in the past especially, but in this country, women have scored traditionally 20 points lower on standardized test scores in math and science. In this country, women have scored traditionally 20 points lower on standardized tests in math and science. Now, some of you are going, that's because women aren't as good at math and science. Some of you are thinking that. The problem is, if you go to other countries that don't have such a huge gender stereotype with math and science, you find that their ladies score, on average, 20 points higher on standardized tests, and there are 40% more women in math and science fields where countries don't have that strong stereotype. You see how powerful that is? And it's that mind bug that says what is ought to be. I don't see a lot of women around me that are good at science and math. I don't see a lot of women in these fields. So that's what girls tell themselves. I don't need to study these things as hard because I'm just not going to be as good at it. I'm just, I'm not going to be successful there. I'm not going to get a job in that field because I'm a woman. That's the way our brains think. Whatever is ought to be. Rather than a girl just going for it and studying what she wants to study, people have given in to the stereotype. Another Harvard study, and I find this one incredible, another Harvard study took to, looked at students, and students were given an objective. That objective was win an athletic tournament. We want you to build a team with these people, and they gave them pictures and facts about each of those people. We want you to pick out five people from this, from this group of people that will help you win an athletic tournament at this school. They were given facts like IQ and, and athletic experience and, and, and things like that about all these people. By the time they were done with this study, they found that the majority of the people building these teams chose a thinner person, a thinner person, even if it meant choosing a person with a lower IQ and less athletic experience. Their minds, and, and they asked them, why did you choose this person? No, you know, it just felt like that was the right. They didn't ever consciously admit that it was because they were thinner. But they chose the thinner person even at the expense of intelligence and athletic experience. Isn't that interesting? Thinness is a mind bug. And the last one, and this one's also fascinating, a study was done on participants, uh, male and female. And when they started the study, they said, do you have any biases whatsoever for working for a female boss? Do you have any biases whatsoever working for a female? And of course, they all said, no, of course not. That's the political, politically correct thing to say. By the time the study was done, do you know what the, the results found? On average, the participants were willing, and this wasn't a conscious decision. It's just that 
this is what came out of the study, on average, the participants were willing to take $3,500 less a year and work in slightly less favorable work environments to work for a man. And that was both men and male and female participants. And they didn't even know why they were choosing. It's just what came out of the fact. It's amazing these mind bugs and these stereotypes that we have. And we don't even know they exist. But we believe what is ought to be. So in other words, we see more male bosses. So we think, consciously or unconsciously, that it's better to work for a male. Patriarchs and prophets. In talking, Ellen White, in talking about the, the commandment on telling the truth, this is what she says, false speaking in any manner, every attempt or purpose to deceive our neighbor is here included. An intention to deceive is what constitutes falsehood. A glance of the eye, a motion of the hand, an expression of the countenance, a falsehood may be told as effectually as by words. An intentional overstatement, every hint or insinuation calculated to convey an erroneous or exaggerated expression, even the statement of facts in similar manner as to mislead is a falsehood. So she's doubling down on deception and falsehood. So let me ask you this question again. Is telling the truth a whole lot more complicated than you thought? It absolutely is being truthful and not being deceitful takes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to not ever one time, ever, ever, say, spread something just because he heard it, give in to a cultural or societal stereotype or, or bias, never to you know, say something that would put his best foot forward. He just let himself be himself. Complete trust and peace in the Father. Isn't that true? And we need, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The scripture says, did you know, and we could read a bunch of these verses, and I, I just want to read one here in a second, but did you know that there are at least 166 Bible verses about, being, about lying and being deceitful? 166. More than the hot-button sins that we often think about. Homosexuality, these other things. There is more about, being lying, about lying and being deceitful than almost any other sin. It's a serious issue. In fact, it's, in Proverbs, it's one of the things the Lord hates. He says, I hate this. You know why? Number one, because it robs us of being who we really are. It makes us hide behind a, a, a false barrier. And number two, it doesn't allow us to truly know each other and be at one with each other and at one with God. It keeps us hidden. I want to just look at uh, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, uh, these are the words of Jesus and maybe said in a way that we hadn't thought about before, but Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 18, Jesus speaking to his disciples. Well, we'll begin in verse 16. They're, they're talking to him about food, but Jesus, as he often did, brought a spiritual component that made it much more all-encompassing. Verse 16, and he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is, is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth 
proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. He's saying what comes out of us is what we really are. And we've identified today that we're people that try to put our best foot forward, even if it's deceitful. We're people that try to hide our weakness. We're people that use people for our own benefit. Deceitfulness and lie after lie, and it's complicated. And that's who we really are. And that tells me emphatically, without a shadow of a doubt, we absolutely need the Holy Spirit. These are things that our minds and our hearts just default to because of the world that we're living in. We're living in a world that teaches us you need to duck and cover and and keep yourself safe. We're in a world that tells us that we need to defend ourselves at all costs. We're in a world that says you have to use people to get ahead. We're in a world that, that teaches us these things and it embeds it so deeply in us. When we do it, we don't even think it's wrong. We need the Holy Spirit. And and the fact of the matter is, if if we do it and we don't even think it's wrong, and there is no Holy Spirit, and changing to be more like God is simply up to us, how far are we going to get? We're going to get nowhere. We need the Holy Spirit because we, we desperately need what Romans 12 says. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. He doesn't say by the retweaking or by the refurbishment. He says the renewing, complete transformation and overhaul. Because God knows that this world teaches us to be deceitful, to be untruthful, that telling the truth is a lot more complicated simply just than than outward, bold-faced lies. There's so much more to it than that. And we're sort of hardwired to not tell the truth. In some ways, sometimes you can't blame us. But yet God wants to transform us so that we can be like you. Can you imagine having such peace with the Lord that you never have to hide who you really are. You never have to, when somebody says, do you need help? You can always say, yeah, I could use a hand. Without ever having to cover it up or, make, or have people think that you're needy. What about being the person that, that never has to project a false person? You just are who you are in in Christ. Being totally secure, being totally at comfort, being completely just at one with the Father and open and honest and loving and caring and at peace. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in us. And that's why we so desperately need Him. Because without Him, we're on our own. We're on our own. As I said last week, and I'll probably say again in this sermon series, as Dr. Phil says, how's that working out for you? He's not even a doctor. Talk about deceitfulness. But that line works, doesn't it? He wanted people to listen to him, so he called himself a doctor. That's complicated too. But the the fact of the matter is, we need the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we need to take an honest look at who we are to know just how badly we need him. And we so desperately do. I think the reason that we don't pray for the Holy Spirit is because we don't really know ourselves. 
Because if we did, we would know how poor, blind, and wretched we are. And we need that ho- the Holy Spirit to transform us. We're going to sing our closing hymn now. It's number 567, if you would all stand with me.